Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, history heroes, and welcome to another episode of everyone's favorite women's history podcast. That might be an exaggeration, but let's go with it. Whining about history, where two longtime gal pals take whining to the next level. When we talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And thank you so much for listening today. You know, whether you're sitting at your desk, bored out of your goddamn mind, or you're on the treadmill and just trying to forget that you're running on a treadmill, we are so happy that you tuned in today. Yes, we are. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So before we get started, I have a quick little corrections corner. In uh, in our last episode, I talked about Tallulah Bankhead, who is a bisexual actress, and I referred to her as being ambisextrous. That was a term she had used, and I did not do my due diligence. It was only after the fact that I looked up the term, and it is not an okay word to use. It's not appropriate. It is offensive, and I am so sorry for using it. Even in the context, I shouldn't have used it. I should have just said, oh, she referred to herself as an outdated term, but she was bi. So uh, I will try to be more conscientious in the future. And I am so sorry uh, for being offensive because that's what it was. And I'm not going to make excuses. And it wasn't intentional by either of us. And I mean, rarely is being a dick intentional but i totally was and i apologize Some people so are dicks intentionally well <laughs> we know plenty Just of not those. us <laughs> yeah we know plenty of those but uh so sorry and i will do better in the future so thank you so i picked the wine today yeah, are you sure i was supposed to intro no yeah it's because we repeated a wine last week that's it. Okay, because normally whoever does the intro you didn't bring one. doesn't <laughs> talk about the wine. Yeah, because I was, <laughs> I'm just such a piece of shit lately, like cannot get away from it. So you're going to hear me talk for a lot longer than I'm sure you want. But this week, we are drinking Prayers of Saints, a 2017 Washington State Chardonnay. It's got a really cool label with this woman in a vintage dress with flowers all over her face praying while doves fly around with devil masks and there's a mountain in the background and the bottom half of her body is a skeleton. Yeah, it has a really cool praying skeleton on the upper part. And we took a picture of this that we'll post uh, on Wine Wednesday so you can check that out. So I'm just going to read the back here. One's true self lies somewhere between a virtuous good side and an indulgent dark side. This Chardonnay is tempting for the saint in all of us, light, bright, and refreshing, with a touch of softness. Whether you're a sinner or a saint, we're all the same at the core. The truth will be revealed in the dark. That was sexy as hell. Is her face a bunch of flowers? Yeah. Did I miss you saying that? Yes. Okay. (laughs) That's okay, Kelly. I know you don't actually listen to me. You yeah, just wait yeah. for your turn to talk. Yep. That's all I do. I, I count the minutes. But no, seriously, like, because I didn't even notice the bomb half of her was a skeleton oh, yeah. until it's, it's I similar, looked yeah, closer. skeleton up top. Yeah, it's, it's like a ripped page. So the top half is color, and then the bottom half is like a blue sepia. It's very interesting. I'm a fan. Yeah, cool. I'm a fan, too. Also, um, I promise I'll stop talking. I promise I'll stop talking in a second, but one more correction. In our last episode, I was talking about a movie about uh, two lesbians coming of age in a country in Africa, and I couldn't remember the movie name. I couldn't even remember the country, so I did a terrible job at that. I looked it up. The movie I was talking about was called Rafiki, and it takes place in Kenya. And it's actually playing at a local theater soon. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like a Sundance film. So there's this new little micro theater that opened up in town. And they play like classics and Sundance and basically wherever the hell they want. We might have to go see it because it looks... I need someone there with me to cry because I will cry. I'm too heartless to cry. (laughs) Kelly's going to laugh. No, I'm not that. I'm not that heartless. (laughs) Just stone face. Yes. All right, so Kelly, you're starting us off this week. Woohoo! Yeah, and I'm doing someone that some people may have heard of, like 
sorry emily's giving me like the shocked face like no. oh my god and so sad no because i realized we forgot to cheers oh. i haven't even taken taste of my wine yet what, what should we cheers to um remembering to cheers <laughs> let's cheers to being on top of our shit for five seconds clink Ooh, this that, is like a chardonnay because it's very dry yeah but it's like sour yeah it's good i like it it's it's interesting so interesting. Imagine okay, I'm stroking a beard. <laughs> okay, let me just take a mental inventory. Okay, Kelly, yeah, go. <laughs> Please. Um, shut so, me up. like I said, people may have heard of this person, but I hadn't, or at least I didn't know who the person, like what behind the other things was. So, um, so I'm covering Peggy Lee. Peggy was born Norma Dolores Eggstrom in Jamestown, North Dakota, the seventh of eight children to parents Marvin Olaf, a station agent for the Midland Continental Railroad, and his wife, Selma Amelia, on May 26, 1920. So, you know, a while ago. She and her family were Lutherans, and her father was a Swedish-American, while her mother was a Norwegian-American. So, very Scandinavian. Did they settle in Minnesota? No, North Dakota. Oh. Very close. I'm sure some of the relatives made their way over oh, yeah. here. They brought the Ludafisk. We, I mean, we have the, what is it? We have the closest climate to them they that they have. Like, we're, like, matching. It's a thing. Look it up. Maybe we can get our health care to match, too. That'd be sweet. <laughs> and you know like wages i have so many health problems <laughs> and they're so we, ju- we just have so many problems yeah um after her mother died when peggy was four her father mar- her father married a woman named marie schomburg weiss but l- but her father later abandoned them leaving peggy's care entrusted to her to the stepmother who physically abused her oh so the father peaced out and that was the evil stepmother yep Oh, is this a Disney movie? Yeah. <laughs> Might be. So she did a lot of um, singing throughout her childhood in school and whatnot. And encouraged by the recognition she received for her singing in her high school glee club and church choir and some college bands, Peggy headed for Hollywood after she graduated high school in 1938. Are we going back to Hollywood? Yes. Good, because I'm not over my 15 minutes of fame yet. Okay, I good. need to bask in the limelight. <laughs> I know, right? I, I did find that chart and post it on the blog, by the way. Yes. So when she left for Hollywood, she took $18 in cash and a railroad pass that she had borrowed from her father. Although she got a brief singing engagement at the Jade Room, a supper club on Hollywood Boulevard, she made little impression on the film capital and she was reduced to working as a waitress and as a carnival spieler at a Balboa Midway. What's a carnival spieler? I assume that's one of the people that like works at a game and yells at you. Oh, they're like, hey, step right up. Test your skills against the hammer of justice. Yeah. Okay. That cool. God, you know what? I don't have the confidence to shout at strangers. Right, be like, hey, you, you look like you want to play a game. Come up here. Bring that fine lady with you. I'm like, No. <laughs> okay, when I was in eighth grade, I went flying off my bike and got a black eye. Oh, and nice. I went to the county fair with my friend and one of the shouty people. Like, you, you with the black eye. Yeah, he was. He said that. And he's like, hey, how'd you get that black eye? You, wh- wh- what happened? Did you get in a fight? Huh? I'm like, dude, I am 13 years old. You are a grown ass man. Leave me the fuck alone. Right. I know. I Sometimes have no creepy. money. All right, so deciding to try her luck near to home, Peggy found work singing at a radio station, WDAY, in Fargo, North Dakota, which was apparently, I don't know if it still is, but it used to be the most widely heard station in North Dakota. Wow. Yep. Um, the manager, Ken... <laughs> oh my God, I'm so sorry. Did you just spill wine all over the carpet? No, I tried to lift my glass and I Clumped. hit the bomb at the table. The wine is okay though that's the important thing i broke my hand but the wine is fine and the glass is fine you know we're fine so the station manager ken kennedy christened her peggy lee as he while she was singing for his station um as a side note she supplemented her income during this time as a bread slicer in a fargo bakery she's a spieler she's a slicer she's a singer right her, her her prospects from her career brightened when she moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Woo, woo. 
Minneapolis. Yep. Where she sang in a, in a dining room at the Radisson Hotel, appearing on a standard oil radio show, and sang with Sev Olson's band. So, yay. Good for her. Peggy also broke into the big time when she joined Will Osborne's band as a vocalist. However, um, it was a short stint because three months after she joined the group, they broke up in St. Louis and she hitched a ride to California with the manager. Okay. So she's you heading know, back to California. So whenever we hear stories about entertainers, especially from the olden days, I'm always amaze the journeys they take it's like oh and then they just went here and fucked around for a while and then they hitched a ride with the manager back to california and then they it just i'm like that would never happen today i'm like man i have a hard time just making it to the store like that is an epic in of itself and she's just bouncing all around the country like i'm gonna sing here and i'm gonna sing here it's very impressive it's that drive that's why we have a podcast it's stationary (laughs) i don't have to go anywhere go one place um, it was in Palm Springs, California, at the Dollhouse, that Peggy first developed her soft and cool style that became her trademark. Ooh. Did um, she have a sexy NPR radio yeah, voice? We should, we'll have to listen to one of her songs after we record. Um, unable to shout above the clamor of the Dollhouse audience, Miss Lee tried to snare its attention by lowering her voice. The softer she sang, the quieter the audience became. She is she never forgot the secret, and it is her it was her given style, um, and a distinctive combination of de- the delicate and the driving, the husky and the purringly seductive. That reminds me of when you're dealing with kids. Like if you're I don't trying to their... I should end a sentence with purringly seductive no, and no, no, you no. immediately go, That reminds me of dealing with kids. No, 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 no. Just that lowering your voice to get their attention. Yep. Because if I'm like trying to get a kid's attention, I'm like, excuse me. Yeah. The quieter you are. The, the quieter or, you are, the the quieter they become also works. Oh yeah. And that's how uh you know I'm pissed off. Like I would I never yelled at a kid unless they were like about to launch themselves off of a piece of play equipment. I'm like, hey, don't kill yourself. I don't have time for the paperwork. But if I was really pissed off, I'd be like, we are done right now. We're, this behavior is unacceptable and I don't have to Emily's talk to your mom about this. Creepy murder voice. Yeah. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. Um, one of the members of the Dollhouse audience happened to be Frank Baring, the owner of Chicago's Ambassador West Hotel, who invited her to sing in his establishment's buttery room. Don't ask me what a buttery room is. Maybe that was the name of the club. I don't know. Did you say buttering? Buttery. Buttery room. Yep. It was all yellow. Yep. Just, I don't know. Um, I can't believe it's not the butter room. Right. <laughs> so before we move on to the buttery room, that this I found a quote um, from a book called Discovering Great Singers of Classic Pop, describing Peggy. So it says, chatting and laughing, clanging cocktail glasses, the audience was louder than the band. As Peggy Lee tells the story, it was 1941 at a swanky club in Palm Springs called the Dollhouse. Lee was booming out her songs, but nobody seemed to care much about hearing her. Then she got a thought for the next tune, whose title she doesn't even recall at this point. She lowered her voice to a hush, quieter than the crowd, and the audience started settling down and listening. Apocryphal or not, the story nicely dramatizes the inverted em- emotional physics at work in Peggy Lee's singing. By reducing how much she gives her listeners, she increases how much they get. Ooh. We're I not, like We're that. not done with that quote yet. I just oh, need okay. to scroll down. <laughs> it's a long end. Few people seem to know about it because it's been 50 years since she's let anybody hear it, but Peggy Lee's natural voice is quite full and strong, where it was until the late 1980s. Um, when she started having a health decline. Yeah, well, that happens when you get really, really old. When she sings with that alluring purr of a voice, she's revealing but a bare hint of everything she's got, like most alluring women. Of course, many of the best classic pop vocalists sing at conversational volumes, but Peggy Lee never tries to dominate the, the conversation. As F. Scott Fitzgerald described Daisy Buchanan, she brings others close to her with the softness of her voice. I love that idea because it it's it's almost uh, weaponizing being soft and demure, which is like that's what people want women right. to be. They want us to be quiet and unassuming, but she used that to her advantage to get people to listen even more. Right. Was, I, exactly. Well, and she had this powerful voice, and she's like, you know what? No, that's not getting me anywhere. So I'm going to try this other tactic. Good for her. She fucking adapted. Right. Um. So now moving on to the buttery room. Okay. 
While singing at the Buttery Room, she not- she was noticed by band leader Benny Goodman. And according to Peggy, quote, Benny's then fiance, Lady Alice Duckworth, came into the buttery and she was very impressed. So the next evening, she brought Benny in because they were looking for a replacement for Helen Forrest. And although I didn't know it, I was it. He was looking at me strangely, I thought, but it was just his preoccupied way of looking. I thought that he didn't like me at first, but it was just that he was so preoccupied with what he was hearing. That's my mentality for everything. If someone's looking at me, I'm like, what's on my face? What do they hate about me? That's like evoking this reaction <laughs> yep she ended she ended up joining his band later that year in 1941 when the band happened to be at the height of its popularity boom she toured with them for over two years around the united states and they were one of the most famous swing outfits of the day playing hotel engagements college proms theater dates and radio programs i love that this was back in the day when there were those like big swing bands and yeah, like, like the more traditional bands and they got really popular and they just pick up a singer and travel around and do their thing. And right. It's so cool. Yep. Uh, much of her success, uh, Miss Lee credits to her apprenticeship with big bands. Quote, I learned more about music from the men I worked with in these bands than I've learned anywhere else, she said. They taught me discipline and the value of rehearsing and even how to train. Band singing taught us the importance of interplay with musicians and we had to work close to the arrangement. End quote. In 1942, Lee had her first number one hit, Someone Else is Taking My Place, shortly followed by Why Don't You Do Right, which sold over one million copies and made her famous. Damn! She sang with Goodman's Orchestra in two films in 1943, The Stage Door Canteen and The Powers Girl. Later in 1943, she married David Barber, who happened to be the guitarist in Goodman's band, the band she was still playing with. Okay. Peggy said, quote, David joined Benny's band and there was a rule that no one should fraternize with the girl singer. But I fell in love with David for the first time I heard him play and so I married him. Benny then fired David, so I quit too. Oh no! Benny and I made up, although David didn't play with him anymore. Benny stuck to his rule. I think that's not too bad a rule, but you can't help falling in love with somebody. Oh, that's so cute. I don't know why I gave her a southern accent. I was gonna say, you kind of got this like... I don't know about much, know, but I know I love you. Um, when she and she did still end up leaving the band that spring, um, and her intention was to quit the Footlights altogether and become Mrs. Barber full time housewife. Um, they had a daughter the following year in 1944 named Nikki, and they worked successfully on the West Coast. So she kind you know she settled down for a bit. Cool. It's to her husband's credit, though, that he refused to let his wife's singing and composing talent lay dormant for too long. Oh, shit. Quote, I fell in love with David Barber, but Why Don't You Do Right was such a giant hit that I kept getting offers and kept turning them down, Peggy stated. And at that time, it was a lot of money, but it really didn't matter to me. I was very happy. All I wanted to do was have my family and cling to the children. Well, they kept talking to me, and finally David joined them and said, you really have too much talent to stay at home, and someday you might regret this. Oh, David. I don't think that's cute. Oh, my God. He gets our honorary dude shout out. Yeah. Unless this turns horribly no, wrong. No, it doesn't. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, they I, do get divorced, but like not through anything bad. It's not like he hit her, or no, it's just no. kind of like, didn't work out. Yeah. Okay probably because she was gone all the time well um, hey david you started this right? okay <laughs> she drifted back into songwriting and occasionally recording sessions for Capitol records in 1947 she recorded a long string of hits many of them with lyrics and music um by lee and barber so they were kind of working as a, cu- a couple duo including i don't know enough about you in 1946 it's a good day in 1947 and a, a u.s number one selling record entitled manana in 1948. Manana is what officially ended her retirement. Nice. Sorry. Was it just a Spanish cover of the song I from Annie? Right. Manana, manana. Maybe that's the one we'll listen to. And I actually, I think Manana was the name of the record, but I'm assuming it was also the name of a song. It was probably the single. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Back Records were expensive. I'm sure well, they didn't do singles. Well, but you, it was probably like the, I mean. the lead yeah, track yeah. or whatever. Um. An ad for Capital Transcriptions at the time in a trade magazine noted that the transcriptions included special voice introductions by Peggy. So that's kind of cool that you'd get like a little extra. I love extra. that her voice is a selling point. Right. Following the completion of her contract run with Capital 
Records, um, Peggy was signed by Decca Records, where she remained for the next six years, returning to Capitol in 1958. At Decca, she produced the quintessential recording of Fever, perhaps her greatest recording and certainly one of the top songs to emerge from the early rock and roll period. I know a song called Fever, but I doubt it's the one by her. I was going to say there is a song that immediately popped in my head and I'm like, Emily, stop. That's not right. I know. Well, (laughs) maybe that's the one we'll listen to and see how wrong we are. In 48, in 1948, not 48, in 1948, Lee joined vocalists Perry Como and Joe Stafford as host of the NBC radio musical program, the Chesterfield Supper Club. She was a regular on the Jimmy Durante show as well, and appeared frequently on Bing Crosby's radio show during the late 1940s and early 1950s. Now that name I know. Right. When when we do stories from this far back, I know that a lot of these shows and names were probably really big at the time, and I'm like, I don't know who the fuck that is. Right. I'm just going to assume it's important. And then like there are ones that kind of rise to the top. I'm like, I know that one. Yeah. In 1950, Peggy made her first brief screen appearance in Paramount's Mr. Music, which starred Bing Crosby. In 1953, she played a featured role opposite Danny Thomas in Warner Brothers' remake of The Jazz Singer and won praise from a critic of the New York World Telegram and Sun for a very promising start on a movie career as a poised and ingratiating ingenue. Ooh, I love that word. It makes me think of Phantom I had to, like, think about it because it's spelled I-N- g-e-n-u-e and then i'm like in in i'm like no that's ingenue okay so for the other podcast i have where we talk about movies we did a phantom of the opera episode and i was trying to google what ingenue meant because there's a song where you know it's like you're pretty little ingenue i'm like what the fuck does that mean and that word is impossible to spell phonetically. No, so does, yeah, there's no phoneticism to it. I am. It's that fucking French <laughs> every was, time. If it was phonetic, it'd be ingenui. 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 Pretty little ingenui. I'd say it also sounds French. Yeah. So. <laughs> Even when you mispronounce French, it's French. Her next was a little tart that time. I was going to say, this wine is kind of like a Sour Patch Kid. First it's sour, then it's sweet. That Sinner Saint dynamic. Yeah. Here you go. It fucking knows. It goes with my tattoo. Yes. It's all wrapping together. Tell tell everyone what your tattoo says, because they don't know. Uh, Oh, I have a tattoo on my back of, it's wings, an angel wing and a devil wing, and it says... um, Every every saint has a past. Every <laughs> sinner, <laughs> you're gonna cut that part. So I have a tattoo on my back that is an angel wing and a devil wing, and it says, "Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future." I'm not cutting that. That was too fucking funny. <laughs> Just like uh, the fact that I know it's on my back, says. I can't see it. <laughs> she has been telling me that she's gonna get this tattoo for years, so I fucking know what it says. <laughs> And she, I like, I finally got it. I didn't think you were going to get it. Oh, that's funny. I was like, she's just going to keep talking about it forever. We're going to be 80. She'd be like, what are these days, Emily? Getting that tattoo. Bam, zoom, straight to the tap place. (laughs) (laughs) At that point, I'll just like push a button and it'll like automatically do it. You'll, it'll just be like, uh, we'll have some kind of genetic technology where you can like, get something attached under your skin yeah. and you can change what the tattoo looks like every day. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like that. Oh, that's funny. All hey, right. email us at whinyaboutherstory at gmail.com if you want to see Kelly's tattoo. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Only if we get like four emails about it. Okay. <laughs> that That's the goal, people. Four, four emails. emails. You can do it. <laughs> we can make this happen. Um. So her next performance was as a despondent and alcoholic blues singer in Pete Kelly's Blues by Warner Brothers in 1955. It won her a nomination for the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences for Supporting Actress. Is that like the Academy Awards or is that yes, something? Yes, that is the okay. Academy Awards. I'm like, um, that's, that's the name. full <laughs> name of the people who give out the awards. God, no wonder they don't use it. Yeah. No one's got time for that shit. In the 1955 balloting conducted by the Council of Motion Picture Organizations, moviegoers voted her the Audi statuette. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's a thing anymore. What is... I don't know. Okay. Is it because she had an Audi belly button? I think... I I wonder if it's kind of like a People's Choice Award. Oh, okay. Maybe. Maybe it's because she stood Audi? 
I'll just say something. I'll throw slime on you. Yes. <laughs> fucking, fucking Maybe they give you a car because it's spelled like Audi the car. Ooh. That's Maybe. It, okay. No, what does Audi mean in German? Long, uh, Maybe know. it's like a German thing. Let's spend the next 10 minutes of this episode trying to figure out what this means. Not actually looking it up, but just making shit up. I don't know. My, my dictionary is not working. It doesn't like me. The internet. I'm that, probably not connected okay. to the internet, to be honest. That's okay, because this shit actually doesn't matter. Right. I know I'm making it matter, but it doesn't. All right, so ne- the the big one is next. Okay. She provided speaking and singing voices for several characters in the Disney movie Lady and the Tramp. <gasps> she played the human darling in the first part of the movie. The dog Peg and the two Siamese cats, Sai and Am. She was Peg? Yeah. Oh my fucking God, I can hear her voice. Oh, my God. This is connecting with me so hard right now. <laughs> In 1957, she guest starred on a short-lived variety program called The Guy Mitchell Show. That's like well, a I don't sub, care about sub that. Sub-note after Disney. <laughs> Let's talk more about Lady and the Tramp. No, that was it. That was that was all of it. That is crazy. Because Peg is the dog that sings um, the song about Tramp. Yeah, she wrote that song. She wrote it, too? I think so. Oh, my yeah. God. Peggy Lee. And they need the dog after her. Yeah, I think it's cute. So she's not only appeared in motion pictures, but she's also written music and lyrics for them. Um, she wrote the theme music for Johnny Guitar and About Mrs. Leslie. She also wrote lyrics as well as sang some of the songs for Lady and the Tramp. For Anatomy of Murder, she wrote the lyrics for I'm Gonna Go Fishing to music by Duke Ellington. Ooh. I don't know. I like that it's called Anatomy of Murder and the song is called I'm Gonna Go Fishing. You know what that reminds me of? I was actually... Dexter, because that's what it reminds me of. Well, I was actually just listening to a true crime podcast and they cover uh, this story. This guy, uh, he likes to go fishing, which is basically... He looks for a victim. No, he uh, is stepping out on his wife. Oh. And he murders her because... She suspects and he's got and he, you know, doesn't want her to divorce him and take all his money. And then so after the murder, he's like, oh, I'm so distraught. Like my wife is dead. I'm going to go on a solo fishing trip to deal with my feelings. And even his daughters are like, oh, well, we'll go with you. We don't think you should be alone. He goes, no, I'm going to go fishing by myself. And he ends up going to a casino in Las Vegas with his mistress. mistress. Yeah. Wow. So just yeah, I'm I'm going fishing to deal with my feelings. Ah. In the respect she commands from the critics of as both a popular vocalist and a jazz artist, Peggy is a rarity among singers. Critic George Hoffer of Downbeat Magazine called her the greatest white female jazz singer since Mildred Bailey. And if Hoffer says you're good, then you are good. good. I don't know who that is. I'm making <laughs> and this up. And Leonard Feather in the Encyclopedia of Jazz described her as one of the most sensitive and jazz-oriented singers in the pop field. Peggy won polls um, as best female vocalist on two of her uh, in two different magazines, Metronome and Downbeat. And in one of the citations for her, them naming her that. Um, it was she. The citation said that she was the female, the nation's most popular female vocalist. Damn, that's what Billboard said. You know what's crazy? Like, think of artists like Lady Gaga and Katy Perry, and like some of the biggest names out there right now. Right. I've I've never heard of Peggy Lee, even though I've watched Lady in the Tramp. I just didn't know she was a big deal. So it's like, well, what are we gonna think of pop artists in, in fifty years? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, she was also a frequent performer on television. She sang on the Thursday night Revlon Reviews over CBS TV in the 1960s and appeared on televised musical variety shows starring Perry Como, George Goebel, Steve Allen, and Bing Crosby, which I've heard of two of them. But yeah, they were, you know, they were big musicians of the time. Yeah. Um, in March 1960, she undertook a straight di- dramatic role in So Deadly, So Evil on the General Electric Theater over CBS TV, and it, it received good reviews. You know, like, it wasn't, like, number one like some of her other stuff, but it was still good. She I mean, like she had a good performance. She's, like, consistently killing it, though. Yeah. Like, I'm waiting for the downswing. In September 1962, Miss Lee reached what she called her high spot in her career. Okay. She was selected to appear in Philharmonic Hall in New York's Lincoln Center. 
for the performing arts, an auditorium usually available to those whom the management considers a serious artist. Like singing in Philharmonic Hall is like you huge. have you have you've arrived. arrived. <laughs> like you don't have to do anything after this. You're you're good. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, Peggy conducted research for and wrote a program called the Jazz Tree, tracing the origins and development of jazz as a Native American art form. Originally scheduled for December 1962, the booking was postponed until March 1963 to give Peggy enough time to perfect her presentation. This perfectionist approach of her programs is is typical for Peggy. She polishes and perfects every aspect of her performance, her special coiffers. That's hair. Oh, okay. I was like... That's like curly hair, just so for people not like that. That was the big 50 hair curls. Yep. Um, her costly wardrobe, her lighting, her entrances and exits, and her musical arrangements. Her perfectionism may derive from her association with Benny Goodman, who always demanded the best from his performers. Rejecting the improvisatory approach of most jazz singers, Peggy planned every detail of her delivery in, delivery in advance, including even the movement of her hands. So she was the opposite of this podcast. Like... <laughs> I talk with my... I guess I don't really sing with my hands, though. So maybe that wouldn't be too hard. I was like, man, that would be really hard. But I'm like, I talk with my hands. I don't really like... When I'm singing, I'm not like... I realize no one can see me but you, but... (laughs) It was a lot. It was all over. (laughs) It was so dramatic. It was magnificent. You are all worse off for not having witnessed that. (laughs) But no, I mean, I talk with my whole body. And actually, when... Planning out every little thing, like, that's... that's insane. Yeah. Like when I started the other podcast, I had to use a headset because it was it was so like conversational. There were no notes. Yeah. So I would like throw my head back and be like, oh, my God. And I'm a little more restrained in this one. I'm trying to keep my we shit have, together. We have notes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like a whole uh, play performance because yeah. you oh, yeah. you've got your script that you have to memorize. You've got your actions. You've got your stage directions. Yeah, you've got your expressions. Insane, though, it like... all. I mean, it's like in theater, everything kind of becomes like a song you've heard a billion right. times. I know, but like to do that for like a singer, I just you know because most singers kind of just kind of go with the flow, like you know they because well, they, they put their passion into it. But I'm like, man. Well, it's like no one gives a shit where your hands go. And she's like, I will make them give a shit. I give a shit. These jazz hands are going to be insane. (laughs) Um, This perfectionism, unfortunately, probably also took a toll on on her health. On several occasions, she was hospitalized with virus pneumonia in 1958 and 1961. And unfortunately, as a result, Peggy uh, had to reduce her schedule and confine her public appearances to six weeks each year. In New York and Las Vegas. Shit. She only started performing a few television shows and only one or two charity benefits. Well, that's like, do you ever hear when an artist is on tour and they have to cancel a show due to exhaustion? It's because maintaining that schedule is, it it, it kills you. It's right. physically and emotionally exhausting. And you never really have a free moment because you're either practicing or performing oh, yeah. or traveling that's why tour buses are so luxurious because that's you're, the, you're, only that's the only time place you, you get yeah. yeah that's why a lot of singers you'll notice kind of drop off the face of the planet when they have a child because they're like no i can't live that lifestyle and be around my child right yeah so so now this is my next section on notes of her personal life that the rest of my story didn't cover okay so peggy was actually married four times <laughs> what was that none look? of but that was my did you notice how none of the other husbands were mentioned in my story look yep <laughs> um so she married david barber and they were married from 40, 1943 to 1951 she then married an actor named brad daxter and they were only married in 1953 that is a great name though right and then she then married actor dewey martin and they were married from 1956 to 1958 and then she lastly she married percussionist jack del rio from 1964 to 1965. You know what all, all those of the guys, marriages ended in divorce. You know what all those guys have in common? They have really cool names. Yeah, right. Like if I was coming up with a fake male name, I would pick any one of those. Right. She only had one child who I mentioned before, Nikki. She was 23 at the time she had her and it was by her first husband. Dave. Dave. David. Dave Barber. Dave. 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 You know, Dave 
came out of this looking pretty good. Yeah. I mean, he's the one that kind of got her back into right. the spotlight and like, no, honey, you are that good. Right. Like, like you can't give this up. Yeah. No, the, the world needs to hear your majesty. Right. I will like you need to shine and yeah. I will love watching you shine. Right. Okay. Now we're under the downturn. Oh, fuck. Lee Every con- time. Peggy continued to perform into the 1990s, sometimes, confr- sometimes confined to a wheelchair. After years of poor health, she died of complications from diabetes and a heart attack on January 21st, 2002 at the age of 81. Are you fucking serious? Yeah, that's the downturn. She was alive The downturn was she died. <laughs> yeah. She was born in the 1920s? Yeah, she was Holy born shit. in 1920. I can't believe she was alive when we were like... Alive? <laughs> well, not even, not even just alive, but like... We weren't babies. It's not like she died in 93 or something when we weren't even conscious of our surroundings. Holy shit. She died about the time we were probably watching Lady and the Tramp. Uh, When she died, 2003, 2002. That was two years before I moved to Minnesota. Like 11. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was watching Lady and the Tramp way before that. Well, yeah, but we were still watching. Yeah, but I mean, Um, we were like people we were yeah. like decently yeah. established people 11 year olds preteens. <laughs> she was cremated and her ashes are buried in a bench style monument in westwood village memorial park cemetery in los angeles oh does she have a star on the walk of fame uh that's, that's gonna come later okay i was like she fucking better her do- sadly her daughter nikki died 13 years after her oh so Family young what happened doesn't say she just died so apparently I didn't do a legacy section. Um, Here, let's make one up. She was a goddamn queen. I mean, obviously. I'm going to see. Peggy Lee Walk Eve Fame. Thank Hollywood God Star Walk of Google. Fame. Yep, she has one. Good. Good. She's she was, there with she's, Tallulah. I mean, she's fucking gorgeous. Here, wait. Show me a picture. Oh my oh, yeah. god, I mean, she's, she's so she's cute. She's fucking beautiful. Here's the thing, she's beautiful, but she's got like... It's kind of like an understated beauty. She's got a cute little face, like she smiles, and you just want to go, oh, you look so happy and sweet, and that's insane. And you know what's interesting? Like, I'm thinking of Peg's voice from Lady and the Tramp, and she's kind of like, she's a scoundrel. Like, yeah, kind of that kinda rough, how, low yep, voice. That's how it is. She looks like she has a chipmunk voice. Right. Um, so... Also in her legacy section, um, she won three Grammys in her lifetimes. Damn. And a Lifetime Achievement Award in 1995. Wow. Yep. I love that, like, to the last day, she was rocking it. Oh, yeah, like, I have another note that I put somewhere else. But, yeah, like, some of the times she was in a wheelchair, she also had a, a portable oxygen, like, intent and stuff. Like, while she was writing songs and recording and stuff. Damn. Like, here's the thing. I'm one of those people, I would probably use old age as an excuse to just be like, I'm done. Like, I've, everyone leave me the fuck alone. There was one, because I had a bunch of notes at the end that were, like, repeats and just things. Um, But the, I, I forgot to say what I ended on, because I really like this. So, um, this is a quote from her. Quote, I don't like time. I think of everything as now, she said simply. Um, her friends say that she was never one to overstate her point. Aww, that's so sweet. Yeah. Damn, Peggy. So there really Lee. was no like major downturn other than it was just like, yeah, she kind of got sick and died. Yeah. I mean, hey, happens to the best of us. Right? But I mean, <laughs> she was still rocking out. Good for her. Yeah, she was badass. Extra cheers, Peggy Lee. Clink. Okay, is it my turn now? Yeah. Now that you have decreed it, will you allow me to tell my story? Yes, you may. You have decreed it to be so. Okay. So, I am going way back. I know you said, like, we're going back to 1920. I'm going way back to... I should have said we're going to 1920 again, because that's where we went last week. True, true. But I'm I'm taking a jump back to... 371 BC. That's a little time machine either. Yeah. Yeah. I have fucking whiplash right now. We went so far back. Okay. So I am going to cover Phryne the courtesan. Is that really how you pronounce it? I 
Google pronounced it. I looked it up because I was like, hey, I can fuck up other people's you, names. You know, like sometimes the, the things spelled like that would be pronounced like Farin or like something dumb like that where they're like, no, we're just going to pretend these letters don't exist. I listened to three pronunciations and they were all like Phryne. Okay, and even one was like. Not that I doubt your like storytelling ability. I just wanted to double check. Yep. I was like, that's a weird name. Well, it's spelled P-H-R-Y-N-E. So I mean, it's phonetically pronounced. Yeah, even one uh one resource I was trying to figure out how to pronounce her name was like like shiny, and I'm like, okay, I can I can figure that out. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> okay, so uh, thinking about Tallulah Bankhead's unapologetic sexuality and power reminded me of a story I once heard about another sexually charged badass lady from way back. This is the story of the legendary. Phryne. Phryne was born as Nesserit in around 371 BC in ancient Greece, though I'm not sure they called it ancient at the time. No. They might not even have called it Greece at the time. They called it just Greece. (laughs) Though her birth name was Nesserit, she was given the nickname Phryne, which meant toad. Super, super (laughs) nice. It is the name I will refer to her as throughout the whole story because that's what she's known as. Yeah, so. well, that, like, kind of like Peggy Lee, like someone else just gave her that stage yeah. name. And, uh, so she was called Phryne partly because she had a yellowish complexion and because this was a common nickname given to sex workers. Because we have been shitty as sex workers from day one. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Phryne was a sex worker living in Athens. She was known for her exceptional beauty, so she was very successful. So she was pretty, but she kind of had a weird skin color, and they called her a toad anyways. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Just she's getting it out there. Her Mental be- image. <laughs> yes. Her beauty inspired a variety of artworks. During a festival, Phryne would let down her hair and walk naked into the ocean, it is said that this inspired the artist Apelles to create his painting Aphrodite Anadiomene. Anadiomene. Yes, that's how you say it. <laughs> Which depicts the Greek goddess of love Aphrodite's birth from the sea. Sculpture Praxilides used her as the model for his sculpture Aphrodite of Nidos, one of the first nude statues of a woman from ancient Greece. Props. There was this Props to that dude. Right? This was a big deal because the art world was dominated by heroic male nudity at the time, but apparently they'd never thought of naked women. boobs. Yeah, boobs. Boobs. Like, oh, God, they're so intimidating. They're too big. I can't deal with it. The nudity was so controversial at at the time that the city of Kos that had originally commissioned the the sculpture was like nah refused to take it yeah. they're like this is like, new way too take sexy take your boobs away we dude, only want penises dude boobs cannot fucking do it are you kidding me like it's too much it's too much, too much. they're too functional <laughs> <laughs> however the city of nito spot it and it became such a pop- popular tourist attraction the entire city managed to pay off its debt Ah, take that other town that I already forgot the name of. Cos. C-O-S. If that's how you say it, I don't fucking care right now because fuck you guys. I bet, like, the government, like, when they found that out, was just like, fuck. This is what happens. the boobs. This is what happens when you're afraid of boobs. Let's remember this before you shame a nursing mother in public next time. Being afraid of boobs only makes you an asshole. Bummer. The original sculpture no longer exists. Good news. Tons of recreations from the ancient world do because this thing was so popular. I mean, it's like people were wanted them in their house. It's like if you go to an art museum and you get to take a little little statue. Yeah. And it's I mean, it's really pretty. I will show it to you. Well, 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 I'll put it on the blog. So basically, it's a naked woman and she's like clutching a robe in one hand and then covering her uh, like mons pubis genital area with the other. But the tits are f- in full view. Mons pubis. I love you. Yes. <laughs> Phryne was the model for more of Praxilites sculptures, including one that depicted Eros, the Greek version of Cupid, and one of Phryne herself that was made of solid fucking gold because Phryne's a motherfucking queen. 
this statue was placed in the temple of Delphi, uh, and when philosopher Crates of Thebes saw the gold statue, he called it, quote, a votive offering of the profligacy of Greece. Profligacy. Had to look that up. Delphi, but, you know, let's not get stuck on that. You know what? Hey, have you ever heard an ancient Grecian say the pronunciation of their words? No. We're just making this shit up. Okay. Thank you, though, because now we are all smarter for it. (laughs) I have a thing for ancient Greece. So basically, he was saying it was grossly extravagant and shamelessly sexy. Well, yeah, it's a naked woman in gold. See, he's saying it like it's a bad thing. Right? Like, I'm like, (laughs) nah, put that shit in my entryway. I'm just like, I'm like, grossly extravagant and shamelessly sexy. I want that everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be that. Right. That'd be nice. Phryne made bank as a sex worker and a model. She was apparently so rich that after the walls of Thebes were destroyed by Alexander the Great in 336 BC, she offered to pay to rebuild them on one condition, that the walls be inscribed with the message, destroyed by Alexander, restored by Phryne the courtesan. Because damn right. However, the city rejected her offer because the idea of a woman, let alone a sex worker... Well, and the fact that she wanted to immortalize it and put her name on it, I think that's probably why they were like, you know, if we could take the money quietly under the table and no one would know that we got it from a woman. If we could take credit for it, that would be fine. But basically, that idea uh, that a woman, let alone a sex worker, could rebuild the walls that a powerful man destroyed was emasculating to the male leaders of the city, so they passed. They deserve to have their wall destroyed. I know. Alexander, can you come back? And so they just get sick of it and let Friday pay to rebuild the walls and put her name on it, please. And then stop coming back. Yeah. After that, we don't need you anymore. You can just go fuck off somewhere. You can have a free night with Friday and then then go away. (laughs) If she's okay with it. If she's okay with it. Which, I mean, he was supposed to be pretty good looking. Let me see. I made Emily lose her place. Because I'm, I'm like, now I've got my head. I was like, what does Alexander Great the look like? Alexander the Great look like. him fairly young with, like, curly hair. Yeah, but is that because he was a ruler, so they made him extra hot? Or was he actually, like, really unattractive? And they're like, yeah, but we can't have a ruler be we on hot. We will never know. We won't. But, you know, like, it's kind of like people always think Napoleon's short, but really, he, like, for his time, he wasn't. He he's was taller average. than me. He was, like, 5'9 or something. He was 5'6". 5'6"? He's, he's my height. Okay. But for the, you have to, like, people are like, oh, that's so short. And I'm like, no, for the time he lived in, that was, like, average for a guy. Yeah. He wasn't like, no, the thing three is, feet tall. He lost. And so the people that won made fun of him because to the victor goes the history. You know what? As a short person, I have made it my mission to prove that being short is not a character flaw, and we are actually extremely powerful because we're closer to the shins where we can kick you. Shin kicks. Her Shin so kicks! So bad. <laughs> so most of what we know about Phryne is from the writer Athenaus. Uh, he wrote of her once, quote, Phryne was a real beautiful woman, even in those parts of her person which were not generally seen on which account it was not easy to see her naked. For she used to wear a tunic which covered her whole person, and she never used the public baths. So, she was, for being a sex worker, she was a very private person. Yeah, she's like, bitch, you gotta pay to see this shit. Except when she would walk into the ocean naked. Well, that was for a special festival the honoring the gods, so yeah. <laughs> she was giving herself to Poseidon, it's fine. But I like this idea because, you know, like in modern times, we think of sex workers as being sluts and whores and like all these really negative she's like, things. She's like, no, I'm, when I'm not working, when I'm not with someone, I'm going to cover my body and be modest. She's a businesswoman. She has a she has a job. She's getting it done. Otherwise, like she's her own person separate from having sex with people. But on what on the solemn assembly of the Eleusian festival and on the feast of the Poseidonia. Then she laid aside her garments in the sight of all the assembled Greeks, and having undone her hair, she went to the bat went to bathe in the sea. See, Poseidon. Yes. Well, it's it's for Poseidon, but the festival is called Poseidonia. There's an IA at the end. I was confused. I didn't look into it. 
didn't care. <laughs> You're like, doesn't matter. The point is that. That's when she got naked. She would bathe in the sea in honor of Poseidon. Okay. Now, Phryne was a fucking queen, but the only thing people love to do more than build someone up is to tear them down, especially an independent woman. Sometime during her life, Phryne faced a capital criminal charge. We don't know what the charge was, but some records suggest it was impiety or lack of reverence for the gods, which was a big fucking deal. Her defender was the great orator Hyperides, who was also one of her clients. Hmm. Yep. Hey, you make some powerful connections. She networked the hell out of that, okay? (laughs) Now, in ancient Greece, beauty was likened to favor from the gods. If you were born beautiful, you must be blessed because... Why else would you be beautiful? Exactly. It's like, hey, if the gods didn't like you, you'd be super unattractive. Or like turned into a spider or... You'd be born a spider or something. You'd be born... Sorry, getting turned into a spider, that's what happens if you sleep with Zeus and then Hera gets mad at you instead of getting mad at her cheating husband. And Greek mythology is really fun. Okay, here's the thing about Greek mythology. It is terrifying because... Basically, you want to hear Greek mythology summed up in a word? Yes. Zeus slept with everyone. That's it. That's Greek mythology summed... Well, not a single word. A single (laughs) sentence. (laughs) She sees me counting the words like an asshole. (laughs) But no, seriously, it was like if you were if you were beautiful, you got in trouble. If you were ugly, you got in trouble. If you had any interaction with the gods, you got in trouble. Like one god would bless yeah, they you. They basically like that would you over. that would piss off another god who would fuck you. Yeah, it it was. It's really interesting though. Yeah, and then you got like all the half gods like Hercules and shit, and shit gets complicated. Okay, so if you're beautiful, you must be blessed by the gods. So when things weren't looking good for her, Hyperides removed Phryne's robe and basically told everyone to look at her breasts and ask if she were really guilty, would the gods bless her with such rockin' tits? That's not a quote. Paraphrasing. Paraphrasing. What must have probably been said. Yes. (laughs) Stamp of approval. Not wanting to be history official canon. Yes, no, this is legit what Hyperides said. Yeah. Like, check out these rockin' tits. They're too holy to um, be sinful. Obvs, she can't be guilty. Like soups, guys. Come on, get with the program. These tits are lit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then he dabbed. Yeah. <laughs> Not wanting to be smited by the gods, the judges acquitted Phryne, and thus the titty defense was born. Like, basically... Can I just do that? Like, I'm pretty sure now you'd get arrested for doing that. Right? Like, he just, like, rips off her ropes and is like, check these out. Come on, guys. You know these tits are too rocking to be sinful. Like, they're good as gold. In fact, they were made into gold. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot deny this. All right. Legacy. There is a lot of debate among historians regarding Phryne's life and existence. Yes, we got into some really vague territory this time. Some say the sculptor Praxilides was her lover and others are certain that the story was invented. Some historians argue that the stories of Phryne stepping naked into the ocean and offering to rebuild the walls of Thebes were sensationalized. However, we do know that Crates of Thebes' account of Phryne's gold fucking statue is substantiated. So regardless of everything else... She has a statue of gold of her. Exactly. Like... I don't know how much more real you want this shit to be, but it does not yeah. get more real like, than a gold fucking statue. We know she existed, and we know she had a gold statue. Yes. I mean, that's all you fucking need. And what of the titty defense? The earliest account of the trial doesn't include the disrobing, and historians argue that this element of the story was created later by a satirical writer. Regardless, there have been countless depictions of Phryne and her trial Uh, from art and poems to movies whatever the truth Phryne's tale is amazing and i'm giving it our herstory stamp of approval done long live the courtesan queen Phryne like i fucking love this story yeah it's fantastic like i got into the whole like well did it happen did it not i'm like i don't really give a shit we're telling this like i it's so cool and i love this idea because she's a woman She's a sex worker, and she's making bank doing it, and she is so, like, gorgeous and awesome, like, you can't touch her. Yeah. 
And they, they tried to bring her down and she was like, nope, check these Ooh, tits out. Boom. The guy said that. <laughs> oh my God. It just, it makes me so happy. And a lot of the art, it's depicted like she's taking off her robe and she's like, check these out. Come on, guys. We all know these are blessed by all the gods. All of them. All They got together. There was a huge revision Except process. Maybe Aphrodite because she got like jealous of. It's a thing. She got, I know my Greek history, but she would get jealous of beautiful mortals and then like they'd get fucked because she was jealous of them. I don't want to tell you you're overthinking this. I know. <laughs> I know I am. It's been a long week and it's only a Wednesday. Oh my God. Yeah, we're recording during the week again and it's crazy. I know. It, you know what's great though is I started out with this episode having... A mix of like being crabby to no energy to being kind of manic. Like there are so many things I need to do and I'm not doing them even though I'm doing one of them. Like it, it's, it was like yeah. and now you overwhelming. Feel I feel so much better. Like talking about Phryne and how amazing her story was and we how ta- cool we she was. Two very powerful women that just kind of did whatever the fuck they wanted. Yeah. And neither of them really had downsides because like. They tried to bring her down, and it was like, tits, bitch. And like a phoenix, she rose from the ashes and said, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. No. Canon. Whining about her street canon. That Whining happened. Canon. Yes. She died, and all of a sudden, she was, her ghost was like, fuck you, bitches. But here's the thing. The trial is the end of her story. I couldn't yeah, find anything yeah. else about her. Hmm. And that's like the most famous part. Maybe she just part. decided to like, you know, maybe she's like, you know what? I have enough money. I'm just going to lay low. Let's let's write the rest of her story. She continued she, she, being awesome. She made bank and she yeah. died at a ripe old age of three hundred and five. Yep. Done. Cool. She, she she eloped with dude. The the sculptor who like sculpted her forever and they both made bank. No, it was the dude that was her lover and also her like Oh high parodies. Person. Yeah. Yeah. Aww, that dude. She I eloped would, with him. I would watch that rom com. Yeah, right. Cute. <laughs> okay. So it is time for Kelly's favorite section of our episode. What am I thankful for? Da, da, da. <laughs> uh, Doom and gloom. I don't know. What am I thankful for this week? I'm thankful. Oh, God, I don't know. I feel like I say the same things. Like, do you, Do you want me to go every first? Week. No, I'm thankful for the okay. heat and the niceness. It's been. It, it was kind of shitty over the weekend. It rained on and off. But like Monday, Tuesday, and today have just been so nice. It's in the 80s. We're supposed to hit a heat index of 100 over the weekend, which means I won't be leaving my house because that's too hot. (laughs) Too hot to trot. But it's nice to see everything having a chance to dry out and get green. I agree, especially in a place where it is bitterly cold and snowy 90% of the year. I don't care if it gets super hot. Right. And this year, unlike some other years where it's too dry and the corn won't grow, this year we're having the opposite problem where it's too wet and the corn won't grow. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. Minnesota, get your shit together. Make up your mind. Follow a traditional weather system and, like, (sighs) fucking climate change. (laughs) Fucking Mother Nature. Goddamn. Fucking Minnesota. Why do we live here? (laughs) I will say. I was birthed here. So I was dragged here by my parents. So again, I can blame them for all my problems. Yeah. At least up until like you left home and then maybe not. You know, I uh, no. I, at this point, it's all my fault because I bought a house here. I have a I have a coworker who moved to Arizona. And yes, it gets hot as shit in the summer. But the rest of the year, like it's you like just, mild. You it's can so just nice. be outside and doing shit. And I'm like, what? Well, and it's not humid. It's like a, it's a very dry heat. Yeah. It's nice. I'm like, why do I live here? Why did I plant roots here? God damn. Yeah, right. I know. And that's what people say. Like, you could have left. And I'm like, at this point, no. No, I can't. You know, honestly, like, as far as, Minis- as far as, like, the weather goes, it can suck. But I'm really happy with, like, Minnesota in yeah, general. I actually really like living in Minnesota. Like, and our, just kind of like our Scandahoovian culture. and Yep. Like, we're, as a state, we're doing pretty well. Yeah. Our tear tot hot dish. The lutefisk is optional. Yeah. I will always pass. Yes. <laughs> no, thank you. Someone will offer it to no me thanks. three times and I will say, oh, you know, I'm doing okay. I'm no, okay. thank you. And I will will have to do that three times and it'll take an hour, but I will say no. It's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> it takes us an hour to say goodbye. But So here's my story about that. And then you'll have to say what you're thankful for. Okay. So I do. I host a game night on Tuesday nights. 
and we had someone new join this Tuesday, and then, like, a bunch of people left, like, one at a time, but two people were trying to leave at the same time, and it turned into a conversation because it was a Minnesota goodbye. Yes. And then, like, halfway through the conversation, because the guy that joined was from Maryland originally, um, part of our, we had, like, a 15-minute conversation on Minnesota goodbyes, and I'm like, oh, my God, like. Oh, my God. It's, like, it's so stereotypical, like. And then that was funny because we made a joke about it. We're like, yep, then we're explaining Minnesota goodbyes in typical Minnesota goodbye fashion. Oh, my God. That's You're amazing. Welcome. Did you also tell him about Minnesota passive aggressiveness? No. He was, he was kind of edging toward the door. And I'm like, just leave. He, run. He's like, what the fuck are these people doing? Yeah, was, I just want to go home. It was funny. <laughs> Am I going to die here? Right. Maybe. He had fun, though. But it was, it was funny. Good. Um, what are you thankful for? So I'm really thankful. I had a really good weekend, but what I'm most thankful for, um, so my boyfriend, Jared, his brother, um, his wife has two daughters who are just a little younger than Kelly and I. They're in college. And the youngest daughter, she is a lesbian and she really wanted to go to Pride in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. but didn't have anyone to go with. And so um, her stepdad heard about this and is like, oh, well, fuck, I'll take her. Like, whatever. And, like, what you need to know about him is that he's, like, this big, tough... He was in the military around the same time Jared was. He's tough. Pride is, like, not his scene. He's not hateful or bigoted or anything, but it's, like, big crowds, loud noise, lots of color, super flamboyant. That's just, like, not his scene. He supports it. Yeah. But he's like, I don't need to go. Yeah. And basically his whole reasoning was, like, well, it's what our dad would have done for any of us like right. this is it's like she wants to go and i'm gonna support her so jared and i got invited so we met them up in minneapolis and jared hasn't seen his brother in about a year it's been maybe like two years since i've seen him and even longer since i've seen the daughter and it was so much fun uh we had a great time we watched the parade and then afterward we went to get lunch at a restaurant called hell's kitchen it wasn't until later i was like oh yeah man you know hateful people are always saying that gay people are going to hell and i'm like well here we are and the food's delicious motherfuckers suck it but it was just it was just such a great time it was really relaxing um you know jared having ptsd like loud noises big crowds basically everything that pride is could affect it. it it could affect it and not and he was just so happy to see his brother and his stepneys and hang out with everyone like he was so chill like at no point was i like oh god maybe we should get out of here like is everyone okay it was and and for both of them because uh his brother has ptsd too it was just it was such an amazing time and everyone was just really like like and that was the first pride i'd gone to the sense of community even if you are not part of the community is so overwhelming everyone is so nice everyone's so welcoming it's and like and then my favorite part and i haven't told you about this yet there was uh, a group that was in the parade and they had signs of like famous uh lgbtq plus people and there was a woman who had a sign of Marsha p johnson and i almost started crying Aww. because like knowing her story yeah you're like that's so nice and how hard she worked for people and like the fact that she was fucking excluded from pride and now people are holding signs with her fucking face on it in the pride parade i just about broke down crying it was so beautiful yeah, that's amazing so i'm really thankful that uh we were invited to join into that it's good thing really... i wasn't there we would have like hugged each other and cried we would have started <laughs> crying so hard <laughs> but like it was it was really beautiful and the fact that we could be there for um jared stepney's and that jared and his brother could reconnect like yeah, that it was awesome. just it was beautiful on like a billion different levels and i'm so thankful for it oh yeah and I was like, finally, I know exactly what I'm going to be thankful for this week. <laughs> well, I mean, we could always just default to what we're always thankful for. And that's the people that listen to our podcast. I mean, we are thankful as fuck for you guys. We never forget you. We never forget you. So thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. All right. Well, thank you again, as we just said, for listening and whining about herstory. Please hit us up on social media, whining about herstory on Facebook, uh, Pod. On Instagram. And Twitter. And Twitter. Kelly fucking did it. That's why I should have been thankful for it too. Kelly made a Twitter. No, Kelly made a Twitter. And I've actually, I 
I hate Twitter. I'm like, no one gives a shit what I have to say, but I've been having a lot of fun with it and trying yeah, to get into it. we've actually had some interaction because I, I went and followed a bunch of people like based on women's history. Oh, dude. Women just, are out just there. Just in case you're wondering, like, who all the people that, like, the one, sh- like, group that responded to her, like, I'm like, yeah, no, that was the one I followed. <laughs> yep. No, like, there are so many women out there doing God's work, spreading the word about women from history that we've forgotten. And I mean, they've been purposely erased in a lot of instances. So that's awesome. But you can follow us on Twitter at W-A-H underscore pod. Because someone took our fucking name. I wonder who they... We should follow that. I know. I'm like, can we go find WHA pod? <laughs> yes. And then... Uh, uh, visit our blog at whiningabouthistory.com. And then email us at whiningabouthistory at gmail.com. Tell us about we, the women in your life that you're super happy about. Just tell us what you're thinking. If you're having a bad day and you're like, I need some positivity, we'll write to you about how much we love you. Apparently bother me about my tattoo. Yes. Tell four, us. Four emails. Four emails. We'll and we will it post Facebook. it. We'll post it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Oh, shit. And on the blog. <gasps> I'll put it in my About Me section that we still haven't finished yet. We'll launch it into space. <laughs> That'd be sweet. Yes. It's a pretty badass tattoo. It is. I love it. Any, it it's from Ludo, right? The quote? The, well, the quote's originally from someone else, but it's in the, it's in the other order where it's every sinner has a future every saint has a past yeah i'm not as fond of it in that order and ludo is the first time i heard it in the order it was in and yeah Love ludo's it. a band just go look go look them up they're awesome it's i'm great. a huge fan all right well thank you so much for listening and whining about history i'm emily i'm kelly and have an empowered day bye, bye.